0: Hi friends, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kristen Strewer, and you are listening to episode 22. Today on the show, we have Molly Contral-Craig, who has an extraordinary story of going from a single young mother of three, living on welfare, to not only surviving, but thriving and showing resilience. In this episode, Molly brings incredible wisdom around resilience, emotional intelligence, and mindfulness. You will leave this episode with new ideas, words to live by, and a few habits to consider for your daily life. As an author, media consultant, life coach, and speaker, Molly has been recognized as one of CNN's visionary women and has been profiled by the Christian Science Monitor and the Shriver Report. Molly has published a book called Circuit Train Your Brain, where she shares her own personal experience and writes about daily habits to develop resilience. She'll talk a lot about her book today and some things you can learn from it in the episode. I hope you love my conversation with Molly, and maybe you'll pick up one of her life mantras or habits. And friends, if you are loving the Illuminate podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us draw in new listeners, and we're grateful for your support. Welcome, Molly, to the Illuminate podcast. I am so excited to have you here today for our listeners to hear a bit more about your story and your resilience and where you've come in life. So thank you for joining us today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you, Kristen. Glad to be here.
0: You know, Molly, I... I was preparing for this interview and one of the things that came up, and I think it's, it's relevant as we think about, we've entered the, into the new year, into 2020, a new decade, really. And you had shared something through your social media that mentioned that 25 years ago at Christmas, you had your gift to your children was Captain Crunch cereal. And I want to just hear a little bit more about that. Twenty-five years, a lot has happened in your life, and if you can just share a little bit about your story and and the background around that post.
1: Sure, I talk a little bit about it in the in the prologue um, and the uh, to my book, which is the prologue itself is is a free sample on Amazon, so you can see a little bit of the background, but. I just was someone who was always extremely ambitious, and I had a, a pretty strong intellect and curiosity and whatnot. But I, I, always, for the first few years of my life and uh, teenage years and whatnot, I, I placed a lot of uh, energy on relying on other people to chart my future, or I, you know, I was going to rely on someone else to. Uh, Provide security, or whether it was a boyfriend, or a husband, or a boss, or whatever. I I sent, I tended to um, associate a lot of my value with someone else, and that was something that ultimately uh, didn't serve me. And I ended up a single mom on welfare, and I was living in a farmhouse with my mother, attending college. And food was always really important to me in terms of making sure that my kids were eating well. And I and I tried to eat the best that I could given the benefits that we were given. And so treats like sugar cereal and candy were just not that didn't happen in my family and in, in my household and so that christmas i ended up buying some christmas uh captain crunch cereal and some candy with food stamps and i think that a lot of times judgment enters into what happens with um what people purchase with those uh benefits and that's really not the point of this conversation but what it was is that i re- i recognize that for me as a point where i think each of us have our own um crucibles are a point of pivot where we think to ourselves this is not where i'm supposed to be this is not who i am and i'm capable of being more and so part of that was i think i was almost judging myself but always understanding that i had the capacity to do more and at that time as i mentioned i was currently uh attending college and was uh putting myself or you know helping my daughters um, move forward and and getting out of that situation and so i was almost kind of like mid-bounce and so there's always these, these times in your life where you're um, aware of where you are aware of what you could be doing. And those are those points where you make a choice in terms of whether you're going to step into the past, or you're going to step into the future. And so anyway, these, those are all sorts of things that I tend to, to build into resilience is that there's that point of momentum in that bounce where you decide which direction you're going to keep moving. And if you're, if you're able to pay attention to those points and, and really get, get good at recognizing where you are on your journey, it helps you drive your journey, understanding that none of us are really in control of what's going to happen. You have to always leave the door open for spontaneity and serendipity and chaos and whatnot. But to a large point, you can, you can help steer your life if you're able to be aware of it. And that's a lot about what the book is, is about as well in terms of circuit training your brain and is being... Uh, circuit train your brain is also about learning how to hone your focus to what you're capable of doing and and really bringing it down to the fundamentals.
0: Points of pivot. I'm really thinking about that and and where you get to that point where you are capable of being more. Let me just ask you a couple questions. So, how old were you at this point, and how many children did you have?
1: I was 24, and at that time, I had three children.
0: Okay, single mom, three children. You were yep. in school.
1: Well, at this point, the it's kind of a, I was in school with when my oldest daughter and then the, the Christmas moment was um, when they were, they were a little bit older. So I had a, it's an interesting, I call it my Woodstockian journey. And if you think about the bird, Snoopy's friend, Woodstock, my journey is very much like that bird. It's up and down and, and all over the place. So um, at this point, I was just getting out of school and working at a newspaper.
0: You left high school and yep. then, okay, then then what happened next?
1: When I graduated school, I did not go to college. I actually had um, a year and a half between times where I just did not know what I was going to do. And um, I ended up with Phoenix, uh, my oldest daughter, and I went back to college using the Job Training Partnership Act. And part of that assessment was going through a week-long series of tests that, that talked about your aptitudes, both spatial, physical, emotional. Um, educational, and at the end of the week, I got my uh, results back, and the, the sheet was blank. It only had my name and information. So um, at the end of the week, my test results came back blank, and I thought that they hadn't submitted my information. And um, it turned out that um, based on the results of my assessment, I could literally do any anything. I could I could go to school to be a basket weaver, or a botanist, or a lawyer, or a reporter. And so um, my point on that was that. I had all of this potential that just hadn't been harnessed. And so those, those two, those year and a half, that year and a half between the um, break in my high school and, and entering college was kind of free fall. Um, and when I went to, when I was still in high school, I went to a uh, a, a pretty large city. I'm, I'm not able to say the city, but I went to, a, I was a, part of a regional artist exhibit for a, a prestigious um, art school. And, One of the jurists looked at my book, my portfolio of work, and just said, This is the most puerile, pedantic stuff I've ever seen. It's terrible. I can't believe I've already wasted my time looking at this. And so here I am, 17 years old, showing my book to this jurist, and hearing his words made me feel as if I was absolutely in the wrong place. I was found out as a fraud, I was recognized as a fraud, and because of that, Um, I went back to school and thought, well, I'm not going to go to um, Parsons School of Design any longer. And that was not the school where the jurist was. I was getting these recruitment materials from Parsons and some other large um, schools about art. And hearing that jurist's words convinced me that I was not worthy of pursuing that dream. And so I put it in a box and I didn't know what to do with myself. And so I think that that's another reason that I wrote the book is that there's such an amazing power behind the words that we choose and how we deploy them and and how they can injure or uplift and inspire. And, and that's another point at which we have to really consider what we're going to say to whom and um, how our, our words are going to have impact.
0: What was the point in which you took those words out of a box and said, this is my point of pivot. I am worthy. Was there somebody that supported you along the way? Was there something that happened in your life? And then you know, I guess my next question is, okay, how do you do that when you're also a single mom of three?
1: Well, so, okay, there's a lot of, that's a great question. I have to say probably my, my lodestar for about um, four years was my, my daughter, my children, because fewer people will hold you accountable to your actions as your children will. And there's things that, that parents will do for their children that they won't do for themselves. And I, I don't know, I don't know why that is. But I knew that um, in choosing to bring a life form into this world, I could not uh, let her down. It was up to me to be uh, responsible and uh, create a future for those children that would be something that they could grow from. And so um, I think that that's probably my – I call them my first stakeholders. I keep referring to the book, but again, that's – I, de- I um, devote – what is it? when you Well, the dedication to the book is – I call, to my three daughters. I they called them my first stakeholders –
0: I love that term. I love the term using your children as your stakeholders. That's so true because you want, you want to set them up on the right path. You want to lead that example and you're doing so many things for them and about them. I love that term. That's a fantastic yeah. term.
1: Yeah. I, 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 call them my first stakeholders. And so that was probably my, my, my prominent and, and primary motivation was making sure that I was creating a life for, for me, for myself and for them, that would be something that could, could, um, benefit them and, and, and that they could be proud of someone. And then of course there's, there's literally thousands of people who have crossed my path, whether it's friends or instructors, um, my, um, my journalism instructor in college was instrumental. Uh, Steve Holland was a great guy who always believed in me and made sure that I was able to uh, succeed in school. Juggle the 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 fact that I had kids. Um, my childcare, Wilma Greenley, um, was really like a second grandma for my children. And and I knew that no matter what type of crazy stuff happened, I I would have um, a safe place where my kids could be. Um, I had a friend who uh, drove me back and forth to college. I didn't have a car. And so uh, he would drop me off at the burger joint across the street from the school and I would do my homework and then go to class and take my naps on my desk in the editorial offices and then go home and take care of my kids and and do it all over again. And so, I mean, there's just a myriad of people who were there at at certain intersection points to make sure that um, I could keep moving. And you know, Ray Bradbury's quote about jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down. um, Our wings are are waiting to be activated on our wings are our network that we cultivate through a thousand little moments of grace that we just encounter as we go through our life. And and we don't even know when those, when those uh, chits are going to need to be called in because we're, uh, there's a, this is kind of a, uh, I love Laura Ingalls Wilder books. And one of the things is when Laura gets a job teaching at a college that's a high school rather, that's pretty, um, it's out there, but it's also like double what she's been making in, in her current school. And and um, the point was, is that she said to her mom that sometimes we're making our luck without knowing that we're making our luck. And it was because of a kindness that she had granted someone earlier that she was able to get this job. So it's kind of, it's basically karma. And-
0: No, I love that. Sometimes we're making our luck without knowing we're making our luck.
1: Yeah. And that's, again, that's paraphrasing Laura Engels. why I don't want to take credit for that.
0: No, but that's, I mean, it's such a poignant point of the relationships that you're building, the things that you're doing, how you're recognizing perhaps that you're capable of more within, let's say, chaos and the things that you don't have control over, but you're still able to build that luck if you can kind of harness in those opportunities.
1: Well, yeah. And to your point, the thing that we always have control over is our own reactions. So whenever we have an an opportunity to be kind, we're sowing a seed that's going to that's going to grow kindness in our life. If we choose bitterness or or being unkind, that, too, is a seed that's going to bear fruit down the line. So every interaction that we have with anybody, whether it's somebody on the street or holding a door open for somebody or listening to someone when they're having a bad day, um, all of these little teeny tiny seeds of of kindness uh, sprout. And so you just never know when that, that bloom is going to come into your life. And so I always try to live my life by that precept is being kind is, is sowing goodness.
0: I think that's great. And I wish more people would take that way to live their lives. And there's also a pay it forward in that, right? So you, you certainly had people along the way that helped you build those wings when you jumped off the cliff that were part of that. So then what have you done since then to pay it forward?
1: Well, I, I, I do a lot of different things. Some of them are, are public and some of them are not. You know, I established an organization that was based on my uh, life. I, I made a reference to that man who drove me back and forth to school. And transportation is the number one reason welfare to work programs fail. And so, um, we do a lot in this country to help women with job training or teaching them how to wear a, a suit for an interview or all of these different types of ways to make sure that a woman can get employed, which is extremely important and valuable. But there's really no mechanism for making sure that the woman can continue working, because if she gets a job, but she can't keep it because she can't get back and forth to there, um, that's where a problem happens. So I, organize, I, I established an organization to help with that. Um, ultimately, the organization – segued into something else. Um, but, and it's really a point where we are in a nation where, uh, mobility is a bigger issue. Uh, and that's one of the things I found out when I moved to Chicago in terms of, uh, public transportation, driverless cars, um, last mile, then this is kind of in the, in the weeds in terms of, uh, more of an infrastructure. It's infrastructure week, by the way, uh, happy, happy infrastructure ah, week. Good to know. Uh, yeah, uh, and that's something that was also interesting that I found out about myself when I established this organization. Is when I was a kid, I had open heart surgery, and so um, as an infant, and I spent a lot of time in hospitals, and I was always uh, the center of attention. I was ext- I could read when I was three. I was kind of like a little trained little doll, and uh, I really liked being in the center stage. And as I moved into um, the organization and its focus on the mechanisms to help women become independent, I saw a real excitement about being in the background. I love being in the background, uh, now. And so that's a lot of actually my, my, um, paying it forward happens, um, off, off channel. Um, I make introductions to people that I know are going to be able to do things, um, whether it's a a speaker or an organization or uh, someone who's doing uh, some craftivism or an art project or um, job interviews, uh, making interview um, introductions. I do a lot of that back channel because um, to me, it's almost more exciting when you can make something happen and no one knows about it, where that's a complete 180 from where I was when I was a kid. Um, So it's kind of interesting to see that happen. So, um, you know, uh, the, the people that we awarded cars to here in Chicago, um, are nurses, they um, tech workers, uh, their mothers and, uh, business owners and having that, um, that tool of a vehicle at a crucial time in their development, um, help jumpstart their direction and their, tra- and change their trajectory literally and figuratively. And so those were points where, I don't know where those um, those interactions are going to end up in terms of where those ripples go, but I know that those are points of pivot where differences happened, and um, that's exciting.
0: Yeah, that's great. And gosh, transportation—it's a huge issue. You yep. also listed a few other things. So you said transportation, what you're going to wear for an interview how you're going to rehearse to do an interview, probably child care is a yep. challenge. What are some of the other barriers that that face people in similar situations?
1: Well, um, so when I was entering the workforce, I was, uh, I was fortunate to have a lot of things already in my favor in terms of, well, just all sorts of different things were already in my favor. Um, there's a lot of issues that are still barriers to independence. Some, some of them have to do with mobility. Some of them have to do with uh, gender. Some of them have to do with um, your um, ethnicity. And uh, there's just a, a myriad of, of, of things that I think still still exist for making sure that people have equal access to opportunity And um, I I don't know how much I was able to change that. I know that there are good people um, working to change that and to give people opportunities. And to be to be fair, uh, there were a lot of people in, in places of power who took a chance on me. And one of the things I like to say is, you know, the best thing, the best way to thank someone for giving you a chance is to take it. And so there were a lot of people in, in positions of power, both male and female, all sorts of different ethnicities who, who looked at this person from Iowa and said, yeah, I'm going to give her a shot. And uh, they opened their networks and they lended their name to mine. And uh, that was something that I'll never forget. And so um, in terms of paying it forward, I know that there are people who have probably moved levers on my behalf that I'll never be aware of either.
0: Your book, Circuit yes. Train Your Brain. Correct. So, it's habits to that develop your resilience. I want to talk about resilience a little bit how do, How do you define resilience?
1: It's really i hate to say it it's an intangible um and for me, I think it's there's a part of part of resilience is stubbornness. honestly, I think that a large part of resilience is is uh just being stubborn i I don't know how else to put it um because there's a point at which. There's some sort of internal switch that says this isn't going to be how it's going to end. You know, nope, this is not this is not the end of my story. This is not I'm not accepting this this outcome. I and I want to see what I can do about what's currently in my reality to change the outcome. What is it? What is within my power to change this narrative? That's actually for me a narrative or that's actually for me a lot of resilience is just the ability and capacity to recognize that you're not where you want to be and the willingness to take steps to move out of that specific strata or, intera- or that specific space. And um, I think a lot of times um, that resilience is easier to foster when you already exist in a space where there is a little bit more cushion. Uh, I don't know. I think for me, again, I, I my grandmother used to call me bullheaded, which uh, she wasn't too far off the mark. I'm, I'm extraordinarily <laughs> stubborn. Um, I, I think just resilience is, is the ability to have uh, flexibility and flux and um, pliability. Um, you know, you, you talk about the the oak and the bamboo, or the you know the the ability to bend and the ability to um, absorb and redirect uh, energy. And energy can be you know psychological, it can be uh, physical, it can be mental, it can be uh, spiritual. And if you don't have the reservoir to sustain loss, uh, you're not going to be very pliant. And that's one of the things one of the people who um, reviewed the book mentioned, and I thought it was in me, I didn't really think of it in in these terms, but a gentleman uh, who read my book said, very few people spend time uh, focusing on developing the architecture to um, create the Conditions for resilience. And Molly has created a primer for doing just that, which I found to be extremely insightful and something that I didn't really recognize when I was writing it. Um, but it really is how I was able to move out of a farmhouse to uh, where I am today. And a lot of that has to do with and Anne Lamont calls it bird by bird, it's brick by brick, it's it's one step at a time. I mean, pick a mantra, a mantra, it's it's all about what you do each day and understanding that you're not gonna change your life in you're not going to change your life in a day, but you're going to change your life in eight days. If you can just continue to move forward and build, you'll, you'll change your life. It's, it's, it's physics. It's not, it's just math.
0: Are there any daily habits that you think are the most powerful to getting to those days?
1: Yep. So it's, it's essential that you drink enough water every day. The first thing that I start off the chapter, the chapter one is breathing. A lot of times people feel powerless and out of control and overwhelmed by their lives. They're just absolutely overwhelmed. I I remember when the girls were little and I was working and serving on five boards, which was really ludicrous. I ended up paring it down to three boards, but there's that overwhelm and you just don't know where to start. You just are like, I don't know what's the first on my list because it all needs, everything's on fire. So which fire gets put out first? And so when you feel that you're completely out of control, the one thing that you can absolutely 100% control is your breath. So breathing every day, you need to focus five minutes, just five minutes on focused, intentional breathing. You need to drink enough water. The other thing that I think that is essential to your evolution as an individual is silence. And when I was, when the girls were little and I was uh, working at the newspaper, I would go hide in the server room uh, off the um, editorial offices And I would go find a corner behind a bank of computer servers, and I would take a 20-minute nap. I would absolutely just shut down and take a nap for 20 minutes, and then I would come out, and I was fine. I could work until 4 o'clock in the morning. So um, creating silence every day is a way to expand your internal reservoir for dealing with the the stuff that every day throws at you. Every day is going to throw something at you that you didn't expect. And if if you can cultivate those pockets of calm, you'll have a greater capacity for handling them and not only handling them, but in sometimes you're able to diffuse them before they even happen, because you're going to start to gain a sense of what's important. A lot of times people, and I don't want to sound like victim blaming, but a lot of times people amplify the stress in their life because they're on their last nerve. And so everything looks like a tsunami. So that when you're, in control of your breathing and your space and your perspective is a little bit more grounded, you'll be able to shake off the stuff that's like, you know, that's not important. I'm not devoting my energy to that because the cost-benefit analysis of doing so is not worth it. And then you can recognize true chaos or you can recognize a true uh, emergency and you have the capacity to handle that in a better fashion when you are able to allocate all of your energy toward a specific outcome as opposed to diffusing your energy across a strata of chaos that you that implied or uh, assumed chaos
0: yeah those are great and (laughs) simple right so okay tell me more about the water tell me your theories on the water i mean i i don't disagree with you i'm just curious to learn more
1: sure okay so another confession in addition to being a laura ingalls wilder uh stan uh i absolutely love star trek the next generation uh, it's one of, it's my favorite one. I'm not a really big fan of the original series. I'm sure they'll get cards and letters about that, but The Next Generation is my favorite. And there's this point where they encounter a life form that, that, that looks at all of the um, officers on the bridge and calls them mostly bags of water. It just makes me laugh every time I think about it, because we are. Uh, we are mostly water. And so um, in order to make sure that your carbon suit is running at high capacity, you've got to make sure that you're keeping yourself your water ratio where it's supposed to be because your water does everything. It it, it works on your electrical system. It flushes toxins. It keeps your skin healthy. It helps with your appetite. I mean, it's just it's like trying to run a car with no oil. If you don't put oil in your engine, you're going to seize up the engine. It's going to crack your case, and you're going to blow up your engine. And it's going to be you're not going anywhere. Your car is going to stop the minute your your engine cracks. And so water is your body's oil. If you don't have that going through your body, it's just not going to be very helpful. And so that's probably my biggest reason for drinking water. I, I love have that analogy. Right, yeah, I have, I have a big glass of water next to me right now. Nice. So, that's great. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, getting rid of the toxins also, that's a, such a good point. And your breathing activities tie right into that as well. So what are you doing now?
1: Well, so what happened was is um, I, I, I launched, uh, I've got, I usually have two or three projects going at the same time. So um, I've got one company that we're launching here in Chicago this year that really isn't related to the book per se. It's related to tech and uh, the medical uh, uh, area. But um, as it relates to the book, we found that it uh, ranked as a bestseller on Amazon across two categories, um, job search which makes sense. I mean, if someone's going to be losing a job, they're going to want to learn how to bounce back and losing one's job is a big hit. I mean, it's a, it's an absolute it hits your ego. There's a lot of things that happen when you lose a job that are not necessarily financial. And so I, that makes complete sense that we would be a bestseller in that qu- category. Uh, and the other one was workplace behavior. And so, um, that speaks to something that I've started to develop. It's, uh, I'm offering a, a coaching, uh, like a bespoke or customizable coaching speaking, uh, um, program for businesses and human resources uh, that speaks to the need to have emotional your, your EQ, your emotional quotient, um, or emotional intelligence at work. Because my background has to do with media and tech, uh, specifically in the energy and Internet of Things areas. And I, I really am fascinated with the concept of Uh, robotics, machine learning, artificial intelligence, all of these different things that are very scientific and sci-fi and futuristic, which is pretty fun. But you know, the, the basic truth is, is that, that we're still humans living in a human world. And we're at this area where we're determining what's the future of work going to look like. Is it going to be, um, artificial intelligence in some areas and and humans running the ship and uh, can I be a remote worker or can I send my avatar to work for me and I mean there's this is a bigger larger conversation but the book speaks to the need to create a space at work where you can learn how to be um, resilient and interact with humans and take everyday losses at work or how do you develop leadership qualities. Um, Harvard Business Review has a a uh, it's a how to be human at work um, thing that they're offering. Um, and, and one of the key, the six key, um, attributes of how to be human at work is resilience. And, you know, to be completely transparent, I am not working with Harvard. That is not, but, but the fact that I, the fact that they are presenting this as an opportunity just speaks to the, the need that, that, corporate America is, is recognizing is that the need to be, in order to be successful at work, you're going to need to learn how to foster and cultivate resilience. And so that's one of the things I'm working toward. And that's really something where, you know, I would go in and and work with the staff or I would, you know, interact with the C-suite or I could do some training. Um, I work a lot with train the trainers. Um, The fact that I've been in social media for, well, uh, I started my own, I wrote my own job description in 2008 when it was really, economically viable to actually become more of a social media person as opposed to uh, broadcast journalism communication and helping your your um, your team or your employees understand how to navigate the new landscape of work is going to and it's going to include learning how to be resilient because everything that you're going to go through is not going to be what you expect outcomes might be different and learning how to um, internalize incorporate, Those realities and then adjust your trajectory and taking ownership of your own uh, part in your your evolution is is part and parcel of what that that um, program is going to is going to address. Um, The other thing I wanted to speak to basically because, you know, I went back to college when I was 37. I got a, a degree in journalism. And I was going to college with 22-year-olds and 18-year-olds who could technically have been my children. And that's a generation that isn't the gold watch after 50 years generation. And since that time, the uh, nature and future of work has diversified even more. And you're seeing that people are, are um, taking ownership of their own development, personal, professional, uh, social, and they're learning how to um, – really navigate their own journeys and making their work life a reflection of their their belief systems. and you know whether that's again remote working or you've got the gig economy or you've got all of these different understandings of what work is and uh, whether that's going to be social entrepreneurism or social capitalism or all of these different iterations of contributing your energy to society and getting paid for it in return. again, these are greater issues. I just I like to kind of go off into esoteric tangents, but
0: <laughs> no, I love that.
1: Yeah. So, but that the book is going to be is, is part and parcel of that because the thing is is that everything that happens in the world, in your world, in one's world, is an absolute reflection, an external manifestation of who you are as a person. And so, being able to take ownership of your part in its becoming is is a lot of what that what the book is about. It's about learning how to focus on yourself. Um, in the most healthiest sense, because when we take ownership of who we are, that's where we have the the greatest power. Our our center of power exists when we can um, recognize who we are and what we want to do and what we have to offer and where we want to go. And and from that point, everything else flows.
0: I love that. And I was, as you were talking about being in college or in university as a 37-year-old with primarily 18, 19, 20-year-olds, And they're basically, they're taking points of pivot to life of pivot, right? Absolutely. We're saying, I'm capable of more. I want to shape my life this way. And I think that's really inspiring. And then for you to observe that. And, you know, they probably benefited significantly from your life perspective, uh, being there and, and probably appreciating that you had the opportunity to be there at that juncture in your life.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not it was it was actually pretty funny to be in a class and talk about things in historic perspective that I remember living through, uh, which was odd, but fun. Um, But I I honestly think I learned more from them because when I went back to school, it was 2004 to 2006. So this is when um, YouTube was actually beginning to be actually be YouTube. And so I'm watching these these uh, I don't want to say kids. Sorry my brain went to kids, but I was They're looking at these, kids, these right? <laughs> students, well, kind of sort of, uh, but you know, they were these, these, uh, students who were harnessing digital tools, um, emerging technology to, um, to express themselves in meaningful ways. And, you know, again, my kids at this time, um, were in high school and junior high. And so my daughters would do their homework with four, sc- three screens up. They'd have their phone, they'd have the TV, they'd have their laptop, they'd have whatever, and they were they were texting, and um, they really were the hive mind type of people, and you know they would go on their their dates would be every Friday night was movie night where the whole horde of you know 20 kids would go to the movies and we adults the parents would just take turns as the uh convoy that would go pick up someone else's kids and bring them home and whatever it was just very collective and so we see this um we see this type of mindset is now in its maturation point i mean these the, the students that i went to school with are now in their 30s and they're changing the way the world operates On a global scale, because there's you know 30 year olds in Bosnia and France France too, right? I mean, this is a a shift that we're experiencing right now, and I think that that's one of the reasons why resilience. I mean, not to go back to the book, but I think that's again why resilience is so important, is because right now we are witnessing a global shift in the how in how people communicate, how people express themselves. Uh, You know, there's just all sorts of things changing right now. I think that this is probably a pretty cataclysmic session of, of our experience as a, as a species. And this is me going way out, you know, 30,000 feet. But um, I think we're really experiencing uh, a shift. And being able to be resilient is a, is a key component of learning how to navigate change. Because if you can't navigate change, you're not going to make it. You're just not. It's, you're going to fall off the change wagon. You're going to, it's just not going to happen. Uh, and that's, it's a sifting point.
0: You know, I think when you were talking about how we communicate now, I think there's also resilience that's necessary for the way the world is changing it and the way people are communicating that you have to build up.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree completely, Kristen. It's a complex
0: world. I have a New Year's question for you. Sure. Um, I'm so inspired by your words and your outlook on life and how you've really harnessed opportunities that have come your way and challenges that have come your way. Not everybody does this, but do you ever think about a word for a year and say, okay, this year I'm going to really focus on this word or this thing or this item?
1: I have friends who do this and I used to do resolutions. And now what I do is I find that I, to your answer your question, no, I do not have a word. Um, what I do, however, is every day I ask myself, um, um what would well i i talk in the general uh i uh in terms of spirituality so i i usually say um first of all before i get out of bed and this is also in my book before i the feet hit the floor i say thank you for this day and if my eyeballs open and i have breath in my body it means i have another shot at figuring out what i'm supposed to do down here so i always say thank you for this day and then i also say um what would spirit have me do what would his spirit have me say to whom and why those are the those are the questions I ask myself each day, and then I ask myself to stay stay open to the opportunities that present themselves. And I also ask no one in particular to make those opportunities extremely clear to me, so that I can recognize what which are opportunities and which ones are not for me. And then I just go through my life. I repeat every more. That's what I do. That's how I get day by day. And and uh, and I prioritize uh, each day according to what. Uh, happens and uh, I discard what doesn't serve me and I keep what does. And that's, it's really, it's like blocking a tackling. It's very much, uh, you know, the gridiron uh, mentality.
0: That's a great way to start the day. Do you do any (laughs) reflection at the end of the day?
1: I do. Yeah. And I also found the other thing that I think is, is, is central to anyone's resilience is determining what works for you. Right. I, I that's, that's why the, the the book is written very open-ended in terms of figuring out what works for you. Cause I know I am not a morning person when I had, the kids were in school, uh, society dictated that I had to get up at five o'clock to get, you know, my life started. But, um, I'd found that my, you know, whether you need to get a Fitbit or whatever, figure out when your biorhythms are working or when do you notice when you do your best work or whatever. But I do a midpoint check-in as well. So right around, um, 11 to, to one, I will um, figure out a time when I can get off the grid and do my little pulse check. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing to meet those goals that I've set for myself or that are serving me? And am I frittering away time? Or in some of the days I I can tell that I'm really not on track. I'm absolutely frazzled. And those are the times when I will go take a walk to go center myself. Because I have found that for me walking or getting on the treadmill or doing something monotonous like I will wash the dishes or something that will be wrote um, in order to reset my, weight, my brain waves. So that's what that's what happens for me. So it might be where someone else finds that, you know, working out at 5 o'clock is a great way for their little brain to start doing, okay, I'm going to set up this. This is my itinerary for the day and da 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 And so um, at the end of the day, I always – oh, that's the best way to get stuff done. Honest to Pete. If you spend – 15 minutes before you go to sleep and just say, what did I get done today? What did I not get done today? What still remains for tomorrow and write it down before you go to sleep. Okay. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do X or Y or Z taking those 15 minutes before you close your eyes makes the next day that much more efficient and not necessarily efficient, but productive and, um, and and keeping in mind that going to the art institute in the middle of the day and having a glass of wine is productive if you're if you if that's what your body needs that day, which I have actually done. So, you I know, feel there's like my some body days. could use
0: that a lot of times. <laughs> yep. Yep.
1: I mean that I think that you know John Lennon time that's that that's supposed to be wasted is not time wasted, which is a total bungling of his of his paraphrasing of his quote. But if going to the zoo or the, the lake or the gym or whatever it is that resets your brain at two o'clock in the afternoon do it because i'll tell you if you it's kind of like okay and this is another tangent but you know how if you are thinking to yourself i'm not going to eat chocolate ever again or whatever and and it's like you're hungry or whatever you'll eat everything else in your kitchen and then you'll eat the chocolate anyway, right? But so <laughs> right. just eat the dang chocolate. Eat the chocolate and enjoy the chocolate, and then you won't want anything else because you will have satisfied that which you have determined your body actually needs or your soul needs. So just eat the chocolate and then move on with your day.
0: Eat the chocolate. That's good <laughs> eat advice. Eat the chocolate. Yep. Dessert for <laughs> have the glass of wine. Mm-hmm. So yep, in moderation, of course. It, of course, always in moderation. So Molly, we're at the end of our time together and I wanted to bring you to our end of podcast questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay. And so the first question is, you know, you are illuminating in your life, you're illuminating in the community around you and the, the people that you support in your children's lives. Is there somebody for you that you think illuminates in their life?
1: Well, I have to say, um, one of my friends here in Chicago, uh, her name is Shannon Downey. And uh, she is, for me in general, the, the best illuminators for people who don't know they're glowing. They just do. They just are. And uh, one of my the quotes that I say is, a lot of times we don't recognize the light we're giving off because we're within it. Um, I love that. So so I think Shannon is someone who uh, is an inspiration to me. She's exceedingly kind. She's a talented uh, individual, and then she also um, did a very human thing. She, she put together, uh, it's called Rita's Quilt. If you hashtag Rita's Quilt, she went to an estate sale and found a box of uh, undone, uh, unfinished uh, stitching work, and she bought it and said, you know, it would be really nice if somebody would, if we could fish, finish this for this woman, it's, you know, and that humble little teeny gesture just took on a life of its own. And, um, it's now a completed quilt and it's taking a tour of the, um, nation and it's just Shannon is just doing great things all a stitch at a time. So I can't think of a better metaphor than just doing something good every day and have it have these ripples that just go beyond what you could ever have imagined. So she would be one. Um, uh, there's a lot of people in my life that just are uh, inspirational to me. Um, they're, they're, they're people I go to whenever it just is really awful and they're there to help light my path.
0: Okay. So next question is, do you have a book recommendation? And of course we will share your book in our show notes, oh, but you. is there another book that you, you know, what's your, what's your run, one book recommendation for right oh, now?
1: My one, well, I always have three books going at every, at any time. Um, one of them is a um, an industry book. So it's uh, something that has to do with media or tech. Um, one is a book that one of my friends have written, and the third book is always something that's um, poetry or um, something like that so that it helps my brain stay agile. Um, right now I'm reading Jennifer Lewis's um, The Mother of Black Hollywood, and it's a memoir, and I'm just always touched and inspired by seeing how individuals are able to uh, live their life and how they face the challenges that they that face. They, um, you know, run across and how they take those challenges and and transfer them into blessings for others. I call it sacred alchemy when you can when you can take a, a, a tragedy or a challenge and transform it into a blessing for someone else. Um, and so that's the book that I'm currently reading and I'm I'm finding it to be very inspiring.
0: Great. Great recommendation. Yeah. Thank you. And then our podcast started out of a supper club, and so we love food, we love talking about food and eating food, and so we ask our guests if they have a recipe they'd like to share.
1: Oh, sure. I I'm a, a I started a, a tofu spinach lasagna. is probably one of my favorite recipes that I have. It's a it's a recipe that you can make that can be completely vegan if you want. Um, I ha- I happen to use regular regular cheese, but it's awesome. It's like the best comfort food and it uh, fools omnivores. Meat eaters will eat it and not even know that they're eating something that's vegetarian. And it's super easy to make, uh, maybe 15 minutes to make it. And it freezes well. It reheats well. It's just awesome. And I would be glad to to uh, share that with anybody. It's pretty easy. But, okay, yeah, perfect. I can share that with that me you. and yeah. I'll
0: put it in our notes. That's great. And we have our hosts are a uh, a ve- two of our ho- one of our hosts is a vegan, one of our hosts is a vegetarian, so that's good. So we always have a mix of options, so that's good. I like the omnivorous Excellent. fool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't even know. And awesome. then, <laughs> and then, my last question for you is: What is your message for the world?
1: What I put in the book is at the very end of each chapter. I I say to tell you know to say aloud, I you are I am worth good things. You are worth good things. I think a lot of times. Uh, People accept what's less than their, not their due, but I think that a lot of people don't accept good things because they, they don't feel as though they're worthy of them. And I think that... That is a hindrance that holds most people back from becoming their fullest expression of themselves. And so I think I would just like to make sure that I remind people that you're worth good things. Um, And it took me about 30 some years for me to learn that. And um, the sooner you learn that, the better. And um, I think that's probably my one big thing is to just the big takeaway is that you're worth good things.
0: You are worth good things. That is certainly something to live by. Molly, you have such a real and fresh perspective on life. I know I have a lot of notes for myself from today's conversation, so thank you for that. You can follow Molly on social media. Her handle on both Twitter and Instagram is at MCKRA1G. This will also be linked in our show notes. And you can follow us, the Illuminate Podcast, on Instagram at The Illuminate Podcast. Thank you for joining today, and I hope you have a wonderful week.